The COVID-19 pandemic has had a devastating impact on the drag queen community. With bars and clubs closed for months on end, performers lost their primary source of income. Many were forced to find new jobs or rely on government assistance. In the early days of the pandemic, some drag queens turned to digital platforms to perform for their fans. They hosted virtual drag shows, sold merchandise online and even streamed their lives on social media. However, these efforts were not always enough to make ends meet. And as the pandemic dragged on, many drag queens found new ways to adapt. Some started their own businesses, such as makeup tutorials or drag queen fitness classes. Others turned to teaching or writing. And still others found new ways to perform, such as hosting drag brunches or performing at outdoor events. As things have reopened, we want to find out what drag queens are doing now. Have things returned to normal or have things changed? Welcome to a very special edition of Talking Hospitality. I'm Timothy R. Andrews, and I'm delighted to share that we have a full house today. I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, the delightful Tracy Rashid and the fabulous Sarah Cattell. We have quite a spectacle lined up for today. A roundtable discussion with three immensely talented and vivacious drag queens. From Flynn Burge, a.k.a. Linda Bacardi, Harry Casella, a.k.a. Mary O'Cart, and Stephen Moore, a.k.a. Stephanie Von Keats. We're here courtesy of the Brighton Box Gallery who are sponsoring today's event. The Brighton Box is an LGBTQ plus owned award-winning art gallery in the heart of the lanes, Brighton. Whatever your preferred style of art, the Brighton Box Gallery is able to offer a wide range of unique and local artists at thebrightonbox.com. Excited to have you all here with us today. So let's start from the very beginning. So what we want to know is what inspired you to get into drag or let's use drag as a verb here. Why do you drag? Let's start with Flynn. I was inspired, to be honest. I've been doing drag for about 15 years. I started with the likes of Lily Savage and whatever you started at the Black Cap in Camden. And I used to do websites for the likes of Sandra and Titi Lacam, Boy George Experience, some of which are still on the scene now and um, being quite technical and whatever you. And then one day I got asked to join in on a drag amateur dramatics group called the Drama Queens, and that inspired me to take it up full time. And then I turned from just somebody enjoyed putting makeup on, being a man in a dress. Uh, it was an evolution, and then I became a drag queen. And 15 years later, she's still doing it. Amazing. <laughs> Go way back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 2008. How about you, Harry, or shock me, Mary? You can call me whatever you want, darling, as long as you call me. <laughs> so I uh, started doing a lockdown. Before lockdown happened, I was a dancer on cruise ships for like five years. And then the pandemic put a halt to that because yeah. nothing could happen. So I basically came home and was like, I'm over dancing on cruise ships. I wanted to try something else. And I've always been a huge fan of drag and thought, well, I'll just give it a go. Screw it. Let's try it. So I spent most of lockdown like, watching tutorials learning about drag, going to see these two wonderful people here. I saw many shows on YouTube. Um, I believe we worked together. Yes, we have. Time. Yeah, we have. <laughs> um, watching and learning from what the queens were doing on the scene and kind of moulding myself and, you know, taking bits and pieces from everywhere like a jigsaw and kind of figuring out what I wanted to do and just taking inspiration from everywhere. And I do it because not to like keep it on brand, but you know, when Super Mario takes a magic mushroom or like is, he gets big, that's how I feel. When I do drag, like it's like I've taken like that super mushroom or that yeah. superstar, and you're just 
living your best life. So yeah. I do it because nothing compares to that feeling when you're on stage and drag. Like nothing compares to it. So that's why I do it and how I got into it. And Stephanie. So for me, I started 12 years ago this year. I was mentored by a drag queen called Bet Rince. And I did uh, guest spots at Halfway to Heaven every Tuesday. My first residency was at the Admiral Duncan in Soho. Literally have gone from there. Then I moved to Brighton, did a guest spot at the Queen's Arms with Cosmic. And it all kind of evolved from that point. And yeah, I mean, it's an honour to give back to the scene as well. Because what we do is we have an open mic night at the Marine Tavern uh, every Sunday, which encourages new artists to come and have a go, just do it. And... If it works, it works. If it doesn't, just keep on going. And for me, I think drag is obviously a complete art form in itself. The message that you can leave a crowd with is always very powerful because mm-hmm. you should always utilise your own voice and carry that forward. Thanks for bringing your voices to our show. In case some of our listeners, and they might, because <laughs> we know some of our listeners, don't have a clue what drag is, here is a very brief history. Drag actually started as a necessity centuries ago when plays needed female characters, but they were played by men. In fact, it's thought to be called drag because of the long dresses worn by the actors and their dresses dragged along the ground. The times have changed, and thank goodness that this is now an art form, not female impersonation, and it's a whole lot more than that. And it's adored now in the mainstream and is a staple of the entertainment offering within hospitality venues across the UK. So we've talked about history, but what is drag for you? And I'm going to start with Stephanie. So drag for me, I touched on it briefly earlier on. Like Mary said as well, it's very electric, that feeling when you have on stage. If you, if you know that you have a room who is engaging with you, there's no better feeling. I think one of my favorite moments actually is when it comes to i say festivals but pride because it's the message behind everything and you know again you have to push that message to everyone and i'm not pushing it in a, in a, in a forcing it upon someone it's, it's just, <laughs> yes. Yes. and it's and it's just the respect behind everything yeah. and making sure everyone's included i can't see myself doing anything else now it's great i mean yeah. 12 years in maybe my 80s you know yeah I last that long, but you know, I mean, who knows? You know, and no offense, but you know, <laughs> Mary, Ethan's fine, darling. I think drag for me is just expression, and whether that's expression of gender, whether that's expression of arts, whether that's expression of creativity. To me, I don't think drag has one definition. I think it's evolved so exponentially now that there isn't you can't define what it actually is mm. i know obviously you touched on what you're saying about what it used to mean or in theory used to mean back then but i just think like to me it is just expression and it's whether whatever that encapsulates whatever you want that to mean in your own drag that to me is drag you know you can get glamorous queens their whole thing is pageant style of drag you can get gender non-conforming drag you can get to me, everything is drag, really. Yeah. Like, I know not to quote RuPaul, but all born naked and the rest is drag. That to me actually really resonates because everything is like everything is just we put on clothing and we fit, you know, you express yourself in what you're wearing now. Every one of us is expressing something. So to me, that is drag. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just expression of everything. It's that famous saying, all drag is valid. Correct. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I love that word expression as well. 
because everyone can express themselves. Exactly. There's no right or wrong. It's exactly. just how yeah. you express yourself. And drag yourself. is mm. just like in the traditional sense of it, it's just exaggerated yes. expression. But it is an art form yeah. of yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, and an art form of and its own, you know, sort of form of expression. Yeah. Yeah. An individual. So Linda, you've done this for fifteen years. Stephanie, mm. you've done this for twelve. Have you seen the drag scene change over the last decade or so? Definitely evolved, definitely changed for the better, I think, because we started before RuPaul's Drag Race came along. And now it's encouraged a lot of people because it's been in the mainstream a lot more to do it. And I think that can only be a positive thing to have the courage to even get on a stage and to be inspired or influenced by other people. Certainly now, and years ago, like there were matriarchs who paved the way and that should never be forgotten either. So it's different times, but again, there are queens who have done it for years who always help newer artists like myself and others give it back, help and encourage because if you don't, it'll go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for myself, I'm a child of the 70s and uh, I was brought up watching the likes of the two Ronnies and Little and Large and Les Dawson, Larry Grayson. Some of them were quite bad gay stereotypes because of the climate the legal climate there was then, but there was also a lot of, you know, sort of Kenneth Williams, there was also a lot of uh, gesticulation and, uh, you know, exaggeration, pomp and ceremony. Where I got my inspirations from was watching all that sort of laughter, variety, expression, and then that took me on a, a journey when I was a DJ in my 20s, uh, in my youth, and then that went on to me in my 30s, learning a bit about drag. You know, I'm now 50, you know, I look at, where I started, and I look at the, pardon if this sounds condescending, it's not meant to, and I, I see the new age of drag now. There's an old school, there's a new school, there's a new school, there's an old school. And look, there might be those queens of an older generation, such as myself, some more established than others, that will criticise the young style of drag, or the, the new school, shall we say. But I, you know, the, it's an evolution. Love or hate RuPaul's Drag Race, but it inspires people. Yes, and as long as somebody takes something from it, and makes their own. Mm -hmm. If you copy it, you copy it, and just put some lipstick on and mime to a Whitney Houston song and think you're yeah. a drag queen. That's not my thing. But if you take something from it, make it your own, and you're inspired from it, and then you perform and you can entertain. I'm all for that. Well, yeah. The art and the creativity. It's really incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the normalising of the acceptance as well. I think. One of the best things that, that I've seen just in my personal life was uh, my nephew. Absolutely loved Drag Race when it came out. He was about eight at the time. And it got to the point where when it came on on the telly, when it was on Saturdays or whatever, he would literally run to mum's closet, get a pair of high heels and strut around the living room while it was on. <laughs> Which I think is the most beautiful yeah. thing. Because if you think back to, you know, when you were young, Flynn, would boys have been able to do that? I mean, Obviously, I mean, this is an audio experience, but uh, uh, occasionally on my Facebook, there's a picture of me when I was eight years old, and Stephen here may have seen me. I was eight years old, and my next door neighbour dressed me in her dress. I have this blue, <laughs> sort of um, red Judy Garland, kind of pinny on, and whatever. You, and it's there's really flock wallpaper behind me. It's very sort of 1979. <laughs> but yeah, that, you know, you got me in a dress. <laughs> in this gallery as a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as a postcard. Like, that sounds amazing. What an image. <laughs> amazing. Undoubtedly, the COVID-19 pandemic posed major challenges for performers worldwide. 
How did lockdown affect you? And how do you how did you survive during this period? We'll go to Mary. I was addicted to TikTok. <laughs> I just used that as a bit of an outlet. Um, I used to just do home workouts. That's when I kind of started dabbling into drag as well. So I kind of used social media for that. I drank my own body weight and wine every day. Uh, <laughs> just been watched so much TV. Yeah, I mean, for me, I just kind of, it was the time that I was experimenting with drag. So a lot of my time in COVID was focused on that. So if, if the pandemic didn't happen, do you think you'd have had the opportunity to... I don't think did. so. I honestly don't think so because I think I was in a, the cruise ship career mind. Mm. So I was just contract after contract after contract after contract. I don't think it would have happened. Yeah. I've always had a love for it. I just don't think I would have had time to solely focus on it. So who knows? I just don't think it would have. Mm. Where are you guys? Ladies. <laughs> what about you ladies? People. <laughs> so for me, it was a bit of a surreal time. I lived above a pub at the time. So we were literally locked in there for that all of lockdown. That was quite weird, but luckily we had a rooftop, so we can literally like Thank get goodness. a bit of space. Yeah. I remember once we were like peeping out the windows if you were watching TV downstairs, having a roast dinner, being like, "Oh my god, I'm not going to know we're in here." Um, that was weird, um, crazy, you know. And I did quite a few online shows. I got involved with a drag choir that thanked the NHS workers. That was really good. A lot of pre-recorded stuff was done. I had the police called on me twice whilst doing online shows because we were allowed to have like a smoke machine blaring. I don't know why, but I pressed it. So I was a bit too eager. And then I opened the door. It was like stars in your eyes coming out. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was very weird. Uh, but it was a time to get proactive. Certainly, you know, if things came along, I'd jump at it. Raising money online, like trying to survive. It wasn't great. I got the self-employment grants, all of them, luckily. Others didn't. It was very, very stressful trying to even apply for that. But I was very grateful that I could get it. It was crazy. But, you know, we got through it and... Came out like Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a chance to reevaluate and just horrendous for other workers, let alone performers. Mm. It feels just about back to normal. So for our American listeners, because we do have some, what are self-employment grants? So self-employment grants, basically it was like a loan that you were going to pay back for self-employed performers to, to survive for living costs, food costs, whatever. And I think they were basing it on different salaries that you would submit for your tax return. And that's how they were based on what they were giving out to people. Well, two sides to my employment before and jewelry lockdown. So since moving down here, as well as doing bits and pieces of drag at weekends, some bits in Brighton and some bits out of Brighton. I was also a carer for the elderly with dementia. And I actually worked in a care facility nearby here in, in Brighton, near Sussex. With the two main parts of UK's COVID, shouldn't I say, in between the two, my husband worked for the NHS, so he couldn't work um, in his environment. He was a, a manager, data procurement up in London. So he had to work from home and I was working in, the, in, in a care home and all of a sudden I had to stop working in a care home because sadly my husband passed away. It was and still is a bit of a journey, but what I will say for drag for me during the second half, you know, I've always been quite technically minded and I bought a green screen and uh, when we were allowed to even have to step around and we, we would do these, Skype, but something, you know, these sort of... Um, 
online chats and then I'd upload them and then Facebook would mute certain tracks, you know, Warner Chapel music and all that kind of thing. For me, what coming out of it, actually, from somebody who's still coming out the other end but still suffering grief, what I've found are the drag for me, not a facade, but it empowers me. It gives me a chance, you know, what, what I do actually makes me feel better about myself and mm-hmm. if I can entertain other people, then all the better. I think also whilst doing the online shows, a lot of people were commenting saying like, thank you for getting us through, thank you for helping. Like it was a distraction for them just to watch something because it got a little bit mundane, didn't it? Like just sat indoors all the time. And then when they said you're allowed certain amounts of exercise, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Go for a walk. (laughs) Yes, let's jog on the spot. But neither you American, American listeners will see. Be very, 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 very familiar with RuPaul's Drag Race coming out of that. I mean, UK season one, I did World of Wonders paperwork filling in for Bag of Chicks. Oh, yeah. And then, <laughs> oh no, this is an entirely true story. Me and Bag of oh, we'll go way back. Not like that, but yes, we've been <laughs> friends for a very long time. And then coming out of lockdown and everything else, still having the green screen, I had the honour of um, being able to uh, record the lovely... Miss Clit for uh, season two, and you got quite far with that, didn't you? Yeah. Yes. Uh, wow. <laughs> I gave it a go. <laughs> I'm a very trying woman. <laughs> See, what I love about that is, yeah, we were saying how things were quite repetitive. Yes. And, you know, the TV we did watch, I mean, we all completed Netflix, like it was oh, a game. Oh, gosh. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Everything. And there was no, no new TV being made. They just couldn't do it. No. But actually, giving you guys that space to then go on social media and create that content. To bring, I mean, people like me, basically just more of what I wanted. <laughs> and loads of people felt like that. You know, what we're served through the media generally, mm-hmm. there is a cutoff point. There yes. is a certain amount of what you can watch, an amount of what's being made. But actually, yeah. you guys mm-hmm. then had that space to fill the gaps that all of us wanted filling, which was uh, which was a gift. It is quite nice because Facebook has the memories thing, doesn't it? Yeah. So some of the videos that I did throughout lockdown often pop up now. And I'm like, gosh, like. There was one green screen thing we had. It was like, I was like running through a bloody roller coaster. It was nuts. But it was, yeah, it's nice to have those kind of memories to look back on as well. So the three of us here, we have a, a good friend called Mrs. Moore, John Moore, who was the best man at my wedding, ironically. Brother from another mother. Yeah, we go way back. And it was his kind of thing, even though he didn't have all the tech kind of stuff. And he only had an iPhone, which I got hold for him. And some sort of bits and pieces, which Shani Bate, the Brighton Queen, would do. Basically, he would do this kimono thing where pretty much only dressed in his emperor's new clothes and <laughs> some underwear, he'd wear this uh, kimono from yeah. Covent Garden and he'd strap a commons mix of maybe cockerbell, and sauce. Yeah, Shepherd's Pie. Oh, then, yeah, that was his work because it, it would drive. Any of us mad not being able to do something. Yeah. Some people, they were able to use the tiny URLs yeah. for uh, page, oh, page see, yeah. or was it? I think they were actually issuing them. But basically, you could put them at the bottom of a screen or something like yeah. that. So you could actually, as long as you, like, you were doing it legally, you yeah, could actually yeah. get some money from it. But it's, even if it wasn't by the money, it was about the sanity. Even mm. <laughs> if you're insane to do it. It's quite hard as a performer when you don't have an audience. Yes. That was the worst thing, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, it was very two-dimensional. You get in your head a bit. I yeah. Well. It's quite funny because obviously you're playing different personalities when you're on stage. And when you're talking to a computer screen, your 
other personality, talking to people who are just watching. You you can't gauge a reply. You can't gauge a <laughs> laughter. It was that energy is missing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I bet. I think it was nice when you saw like the reactions and people putting love hearts and like engaging with you because you could say, and then you end up saying like hello to multiple people like hello so and so and then you're like oh sh I should do a song now like because we've been people for so long we do know that there are people listening that might still be struggling might be going through some difficult situation themselves what advice would you give to them I'm going to start with you my worked way and you being Mary find something joyful every single day find joy in something whether it's I don't know, cutting your nails. I don't care whether it's like, I don't know, having a shower, find joy in at least one thing you do every day. And if you start to build on that as like a daily manifestation, it will translate to every day life. Mm -hmm. So find something that makes you happy, that brings you joy, something you love, whether you know you're the type of person that being charitable makes you happy and you want to give back to something or someone, whatever it is, it can be so minute. Just find joy every single day and it will manifest into such a bigger thing. The similar thing is about positivity, I think. No matter what hardships you face at the end of the day, you find something you're good at or find something that you interests you, take it, harness it and just hold on to it and and feed off of it to know this can make me feel better about myself. Mm. And that's what I do every day. <laughs> yeah. I'd always say like never feel like you're alone. Always make sure you have good people around you. Always communicate where you can. Always remember that things always will get better. Mm -hmm. If you have a positive outlook, it's like when you talk and you smile, you have that automatic response. If you just have that positive attitude, things will always happen for the good. That's my philosophy, and I always stick by it. Positivity is key. Negativity never helps anybody. No, it doesn't. I know, and as much as sometimes for some people, they can find it hard to find positivity. Look around, look around you, you know, and um, find inspiration mm. at the end of the day. Life's too short. <laughs> and we all, we all have off days. That's yeah. just human nature. But just always... Don't make it all the time. As one popular drag queen says, can I get an amen up in here? <laughs> <laughs> your passion for the art of drag is infectious. So thank you all for sharing your experiences and for adding a touch of glamour and glitter to our show today. We did we did have someone in drag earlier, that's why we're saying glitter. Mary was looking way fabulous. Yes, than, uh, I am now. Putting us all to shame. Still fabulous. And there's been for an eye like death becomes her. Yeah, I'm Meryl Thank you, Flynn, Harry and Stephen for joining us on this episode. And a huge thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Talking Hospitality. We hope you enjoyed this journey into the world of drag as much as we have. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Leave a review if it's nice. And join us next time as we continue to explore all things hospitality. Stay fabulous. <laughs>